one of the things that we know is that um, the the idea of the leader as the person who has all the answers and is in control of the process and can make things happen and can expect predictability, that's just not the reality anymore. But a lot of us are still using the leadership and management skills that we learned for that world. If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Today, we are very, very lucky to be talking with Diana Larson. Hey, Diana, how you doing? Hi, Debbie. Doing well, thanks. It's, it's so, so good to see you. I know you and I go way back, and, and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. So today, we get the privilege of talking with Diana about the Agile Fluency Model. Mm-hmm. Also, um, towards the end of the episode, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about Diana's new book, newest book called Lead Without Blame. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's, for those that don't know Diana, um, I, many people do, um, you've done so many things um, at, at, at the core of who you are and what you love to do. You work with organizations really globally around the world to design high-performance work systems, innovate project team effectiveness, which is really like the kind of the, where it's at these days, right? So team effectiveness is, is really important more than ever right now, it kind of ebbs and flows. And, you know, and, and right now it's like kind of top of mind for everybody. And you support leaders and enterprises in their transitions to agile methods, which you've been doing for a very long time. Um, Diana is the author of books that I literally, um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say they're required reading for those that really want to um, up their game with agile. And I've read them cover to cover many times. Uh, my favorites, including Agile Retrospectives. Uh, you're the co-author of including Liftoff and then also Quick Start Guide for the five rule, to the five rules for accelerated learning. And then of course, you're also the co-originator of the Agile Fluency Model, which is what we're gonna dive into today. Mm-hmm. And so I can't believe this, but the Agile Fluency Model, you and James Shore originally published it in 2012. Is that is that yes. accurate? We published it in 2012. We created a a sort of updated form of it in 2018, but it's been around a while now. I I remember talking to you guys about it. It must have been 2010 when you were conceiving of it. And I was like, this is this is game changing. I knew it was it was so amazing to have that peek into the creation of it. Um, So. If you can, I know, I know um, there's many, many videos online and, and diagrams and, and lots of content where people can go and look at what the Agile fluency is. But if you could sum it up for us in, um, um, you know, what's the elevator pitch for, for what the model is and what it's about? Okay. All right. Uh, well, so it, just real quick, if people want a little bit more, they can go to agilefluency.org where Great. we, where we kind of archive things and and have a, a downloadable ebook about it. Oh nice. But um but the the essence of it is um there was a time when people were like really struggling with is there only one way to do agile and mm-hmm. so on. And James and I noticed that that wasn't our experience that people were successful with with an agile approach in a number of different ways. 
And so that is in essence what the model captures. Okay. And we call it a fluency model because it has to do with in different circumstances, what are the proficiencies or capabilities that a team needs to produce the kind of value that business needs at, at that, you know, in that context. And what we discovered that much like language fluency, it, it, you can, there's a, a level of fluency that works a lot for a lot of people, but not for everyone. And that, but everything about that part gets incorporated in the next most, a little more sophisticated part, the, a, a broader set of needs. Okay. Not, I don't know if it's even sophistication, but it's a broader set of needs that the business has. And so we found four zones of that um, and how each kind of incorporates everything from before, but adds some things because of new needs and new circumstances. And so it's um, it's an agnostic agile. We don't, it, it's independent of any of the methodologies or frameworks that are out there. Um, and it's, you know, George Box, right? Yeah, all models are wrong. Some are useful. Yeah. Uh, we hope that the Agile Fluency model can be useful for people um, to, to decide what their Agile should look like in their company. Okay. Uh, with under their conditions and circumstances. Okay. And I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it just to be sure. But is there a target type of team or is it really for a broad variety of like, could a startup use it? Is it, is, can an enterprise use it? Um, a team of two use it? Um, is there any sort of like, oh, it's best for certain types of teams or is it really? agnostic as well in terms of team makeup and size? Well, the way we wrote it, it is focused primarily on software development teams. Okay. So okay. that's that's one piece. There are parts of it that seem to be generalizable to other kinds of teams, but not all of it. Okay. And, um, and we really wrote it for for leaders in organizations. I mean, people, it's, a, it's a model of one of the, the kind of quips I say is it's a model of team behavior mm -hmm. and team fluency that has enormous implications for organizations and leaders. However, it's not an organizational model. It's not a leadership model, but it's a way that uh, people who are in charge of creating the environments within which teams work can get some ideas about how they can better enable their teams. And so everything from a, a team, a tech lead or a team lead um, all the way up through the leadership ranks, I guess that's an up <laughs> across the leadership ranks. Mm -hmm. um, the agile fluency model has guidance there for how do you support these teams? And then Within the teams, there's a little bit of guidance for what do they want to look for in terms of their own development as team members and as a whole team and those kinds of things. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, we're not going to get into all that now because we'll need hours of time. And again, people can go look online. Um, there's tons of stuff and, and I've, I've consumed a lot of that and it's really well put together. And so folks can go um, agilefluency.org. Agilefluency.org. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or or search on Agile Fluency model. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. there's lots of places where people can go. So now, 
Now it's been around for over 10 years, the model. And what do you think people most often misunderstand about the model? Um, well, one of the things is they want to make it into a maturity model. Okay. And, That's Because like, you're right. Like there are, there are stages yeah, or there are, James, James yeah. describes it as like bus stops, which right. I love. Yeah. Like, so we get on zones. or off or zones. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. And so you're, you're going to get off at the bus stop you need, right? You're not right. going to hang on there just to get to the end of the bus line. Right. 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 So, so in that sense, it's, it's a, it's a model of figure out where, what your needs are, not a maturity model. If anything, our, in James' latest book, the second edition of The Art of Agile Development, uh, he has a discussion, we talked about it before, and he included this discussion in the book, that if there is maturity or, you know, increasing strength, it actually is within the zones. Once you oh. figure out the zone that's, that's the right fit for your teams, they can become more mature in that zone. Oh. But, but the whole model itself is not a maturity model. It's not better to get to the fourth zone than it is to be in the first zone if that's not what you need. Got it. So, so that's the most common. That's one of the most common things. The other thing is that people want to turn it into an organizational model. They want to say, well, our organization is an optimizing zone organization or whatever. And that's not right either, because many organizations, maybe even most, may have a need for teams that function fluently in different zones. R and D might be an you might need optimizing zone teams there, but for your IT infrastructure or your marketing your marketing support software teams or those focusing zone may be the right zone for them. So and then you know people who are creating a, a an ongoing product with uh, increasing features and versions might all need to be delivering zone teams, and so you might have all of those in the same organization. So it's not an organizational model. Um, there is, depending on where you decide is the right zone for your teams, you need to create an organization that can support that. But that's that's part of the implication. It's not, but the model is not about organizations. So you you said something just now that that I want to dig into. You said wh where where you decide is the right zone for the team. Who decides? Because the reason why I'm asking is because. You know, they're one of the tenets of agile um, teams is, yeah. you know, the beliefs that folks on the teams in general, the culture these yeah. days is autonomy. Right. And right. people want to be able to make their estimates, set their pace, determine what their productivity is and kind of have that autonomy to yes. determine what's um, highest priority within their, you know, OKRs or whatever metric right. they use. But, you know, how does that. How does that kind of belief system, and again, not all teams, but many teams that I talk to in my day-to-day, -day, like value right. autonomy, do, do the teams determine where the best um, level of fluency is for them? Or does does um, one leader decide or or does it depend? Well, it, it of course, it depends. It always depends. The answer is always depends. It always depends. And in general, I think we can do some generalization here. It's a both and. 
Okay. The team decides how it wants to do its work and, you know, that all those aspects of autonomy. But they can't do that without some direction from product folks and from leadership folks. What is it we're trying to create here? The team doesn't decide that. The business right. decides right. that, right? And so it's the business leaders that analyze the situation to make the first guess at what zone they believe the teams need to be in. Okay. Um, and there are some, I mean, again, we can't dive deeply into the model. There are a hundred, around a hundred licensed facilitators, licensed agile fluency facilitators around the world that are available to help with this, um, as are Jim and I, and, and the people who were our trainers. Oh, that's so, interesting. So does, uh, like, so, so what I'm hearing is, yeah, I mean, you could absorb the model, like many things, learn it. Yeah. Um, implement it on your own, or you can bring in someone that's licensed to really kind of help you yeah. ask the right questions to determine where your teams, um, where which which phase of the fluency model are, right. are most appropriate yeah. for each team at yeah. that time. Yeah, in general, the way we approach it is we have some conversations with the leader, or the leader does their own due diligence on their own, uh, maybe with a group inside their organization, and make a first guess at where they think their teams need to be. How fluent, what kind of fluency do they need from their teams? And then they um, look at, then they go through a, a, an assessment project, what we call a diagnostic process. Okay. Um, it's not really an assessment of good or bad of the teams. It's just figuring out where is the, where are the teams now? And, and then introduce the teams to the model. And then they get a chance to say, well, where we are now is just fine or where we are now. No, we'd really like to have more skills in this area, or we'd really like to have a, have a, a better remote environment to do our work or whatever mm -hmm. it is they might need. And then, and then together with uh, coaches or, or team leaders and the, and the, or the business side leaders and, port, and product leaders, they figure out, well, what do we need to do next to best create the environment where we're going to get the outcomes that we want? And so it's a, it's, it starts with the leaders because somebody's got to at least make that stab in mm -hmm. the dark to mm -hmm. figure out, you know, where are we mm -hmm. and where do we think we are? And, you know, where are we really, we have a di the, the, uh, licensed facilitators have a diagnostic that they can use with teams, but you can also do it by observation. I mean, that's part of what our model is. It's a, it's a set of observations about fluency. If yep. your team is in this zone, you will see these kinds of things going on. If you don't see these things going on, then your team may need some help getting to this zone. So it's it's that it's that kind of thing. You can do it by observation. You can also do it by, you know, it's a little faster to do it with it with the diagnostic. Um, and then you start from there. Where do we, what, what is it we need to enhance about our work environment? What is it that teams need? What do they want to try to do? What fluencies do they want to develop on their own? And that's where the autonomy comes in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, teams often have a big desire to, you know, do something, some part of their work better. Right. And, and they look for support for that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll share an interesting story with you and I don't want to take us down an entire rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> I actually went through an exercise myself recently where I took the, the agile fluency model and I self-diagnosed strides leadership team historically. Yeah. Just where we were at the time as a team, again, not as individuals, but as a team, and, and then I actually plotted our, um, our revenue over that. And it was really interesting to me. It was fascinating uh, because like you said, um, the Agile Fluency model is, is uh, made with tech teams in mind and, and I was plotting it against a leadership team, but there really was um, um, a visible correlation um, in terms of our ability to unlock growth. And, and I don't, my, my question in all this is, um, in our experience, we when we added a new team member that was a specialist and inherently a non-agilist is when we dropped in fluency, but, but needed to be at a higher fluency for our business. And so do you see that happening with teams when they add, uh-huh. you know, one new team member that maybe throws the rest of the team off, off their course unintentionally yeah. because they yeah. bring a cybersecurity expert or a DevOps yeah. expert or some right. sort of really important specialist to the team, but they don't have those like individual agile tenants built right. up yet. Like, do you right. see that in, or am I? Well, with- well, that's, that's interesting because that's actually one of the um, aspects of maturity within a zone. Okay. That oh, Jim and okay. I talked about. The more mature a team is within a zone, the more it's able to take in a new team member or lose a key team member and keep going with that level of fluency. And be there. Because that's a challenge. Or, you know, for focusing zone teams to have a, a, a scrum master or a coach or somebody there to begin with. And then they learn how to be a team on their own, what kind of collaboration they need and so on. And then can they sustain it if that person leaves? That's another kind of maturity indicator, right? Do they need somebody there prodding and reminding and nagging or can they do it on their own? So um, so I would think the same is true. There's all, anytime you switch team members and you need to get to know each other again and yeah. understand each other's capabilities and things, you're going to have a little bit of a uh, a learning curve. You're going to have a little bit of a productivity drop. But if it's over time, I would say the team did not prepare itself well enough to think about bringing on that new person. Hmm. And to, you know, to notice that this is not somebody who's going to have the, all the awarenesses and skills that we need. So how are we going to, how are we going to onboard them to get them up to speed as quickly as possible? Who's going to be their buddy? Who's going to, you know, all those kinds of uh, considerations. And, but yes, I mean, I think you're right on those kinds of things absolutely do happen. And we need to use some skills and techniques to minimize the impact of that. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely made that mistake myself where I have thought that I had planned for the productivity dip, but I failed to understand that there was a, a whole set of vocabulary that non-agilists don't use. And it's, again, it's getting into the, um, the, 
lead without blame that we'll talk about later. It's, it's no one's fault. It's like, if I were to try to become a, um, um, a forecasting finance expert, there would be a whole set of terminology that I just wouldn't be familiar with. And someone would have to, you know, teach it to me and be patient with me. Mm. And so I've seen that happen with non-agilists coming on to an agile fluent team where mm. it's the, oh, wait, there are these, these concepts, right? Like, right you know, lean and theory of constraints and work in progress and what, like the the concept of waste, right? Like these, these, these concepts, I think it's very important when you have someone coming onto a team, even if the team is fluid and stable to really make sure that the new folks have those, um, those, that knowledge base, because that's, you know, that's the, um, that's the why, right? Yeah. Behind why the agile flip, one of the whys, right? Yeah. And so we think I've, I've seen that uh, yeah. so many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so do you, ha- do you have a story that you can share with us about like, I know you work with tons of teams, but is there one, one story that stands out when someone really kind of nailed um, taking advantage of the agile fluency model that you can think of? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, actually stride would be one of my examples, but, um, um, in another one, it was, a a, a team that supported, um, what do I want to say? Um, I, I, I've lost the vocabulary cause I haven't worked <laughs> with them for a little while, but, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, how, how trucks distribute themselves or okay. how truckers just, you know, yeah distribution centers and deliveries and there's some name for the people who dispatchers well it but there's a there's a name for that kind of that whole system i i'm i'm sorry i'm just (laughs) blocking on it but anyway this is that that's what this company did they built software to help do all the routing and all the all that kind of stuff and um they were struggling a bit with uh keeping teams they they didn't have they had about five teams and they were struggling with how do we deploy these teams how do we figure out who's doing what sometimes they were stepping on each other's toes because the boundaries of the of the work weren't well defined and 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 so on and so um i we their their manager actually came and took a workshop with us to learn about the model and to learn about the diagnostic and so on and then uh then he and i taught some of the other team leaders in their organization about how to use the model and um they figured out you know who needed to be where they had a couple of teams that they thought the focusing zone was the right place but then some other teams that maybe the other two or three teams that were needing to just kind of keep uh, uh, pumping out the new features mm-hmm. and and staying in touch with the product people and and that kind of stuff about what the customers needed. And um, and over time, they bumped themselves, you know, they got themselves to the place where they felt like they were in maintenance mode. and you know, that they really needed to check back in with the agile fluency model when new mem- new team members came on mm. and, and okay. you know, bring them up to speed to, and they used it as um along with i mean they were doing liftoffs as well so they l- used it along with their team chartering when they get new team members they would recharter the team 
and then use the fluency model as part of the conversation in the rechartering about this is how we do work. Okay. This is what we're striving for. That's that's a really important kind of trigger because once you are familiar with the agile fluency model, you can get complacent, but you want, you don't want to slip past maintenance to complacency. You want to have that trigger and lift off is, I love anchoring things to trigger. So you don't have to worry about it all the time. Right. And the trigger is, okay, new person joins a team. We do a lift off. And part of that liftoff is um, incorporating the agile fluency model and really re-asking ourselves where we want to be. Um, because this way, it's not that it's every quarter, right. which is kind of arbitrary, but it's rather, all right, like some external factor. And I think there are yeah. other external factors. Like if you were to uh, sell the company or raise a big round of capital or a new CEO or like right. any of these kind of what I call like life-changing business events, right? Right, <laughs> like, right. exactly. Kind of good, right? Like health check triggers. Like, are right. we, are we, right. where do we need to be with the fluency model? Right. Um, so that's, that's a really kind of great way to think about um, when, when to kind of check in because it isn't something you want to just set and forget. It is something that you want to be alive and well Right. Throughout the organization. So, all right. So that's super yeah. helpful. Um, I want you, um, as promised, I want to switch gears now, if it's all right. Yeah, and sure. And and talk about uh, Lead Without Blame, which is your newest book. And mm-hmm. before we dive into a couple of questions, I want to just kind of set the stage for everyone here. So um, Lead Without Blame came out last September and Diana co-authored it with Trisha Broderick. And um, what it is, is a framework for leaders to move from uh, workplace blame and shame strategies to really a more progressive and more kind of modern way of cultivating resilient teams that can face adversity and handle setbacks confidently. And um, I I have sadly not read this book yet, and I'm going to read it this week. I'm, I'm going to buy it and read it because... This is something that um, I personally struggle with a little bit, um, and so I'm very excited to um, uh, learn what the book has to say. Um, but uh, ahead of that, ahead of that reading, and for those yeah. listening, for those that haven't read the book, um, you know what what mistakes you know scaling tech podcast is all about. You know, firsthand what we see um, tech leaders doing well and what what they can yeah. prove it. So you wrote this book because you saw a need in the marketplace, right? And so, like, right, what right. what are tech leaders kind of tripping over when it comes to um, a culture of of blame versus a resilient culture that can you know um, be you know at you know face yeah. adversity like we just right. said. Right. Well, one of the things is, I mean, we all have become more aware that the pace of change is is getting faster all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I sometimes think about my grandmother who was born in 1906 and all the technological changes she saw uh, over her lifetime. Yeah which was a lot when you think about it. I mean, it was still horse and buggies and the occasional telegraph, you know, when, when she, when she was born and, you know, she came clear through the early parts of the internet age. So, so, and, and that was a lot of change and we have experienced even a faster much and, and the generations that are coming after me anyway, they're, you know, getting even more and more and more. And so, one of the things that we know is that um, the 
the idea of the leader as the person who has all the answers and is in control of the process and can make things happen and can expect predictability, that's just not the reality anymore. But a lot of us are still using the leadership and management skills that we learned for that world. Right. And and so one of the things is that the leader is the center, the decision maker, the question answerer, the old sole question answerer, all of that. We need to let that go. And and the leader needs to let go of the fact that they can um, hold individual at the individual focus, that we can hold individuals accountable for things. Because there's so many pressures. It's not just me and my skills anymore when I show up for work. Mm-hmm. It's, am I getting the right information? It, are my skills the right match for the tasks that I'm being asked to do? I, a, am I at full, you know, am I showing up feeling not quite as well or after having a, a sleepless night with a baby or, you know, how, how am I showing up that day? Am I, you know, am I as, as my, my independent standard of it, my, my top form, right? Or, and what else can, might be going on? You know, is there a rumors of a merger in the background or, you know, all of those kinds of things impact my ability to do a good job. And so to turn around, if I make a mistake and to say, oh, it's you're to blame, you're the one, or to to spend time in a meeting with a bunch of powerful people trying to figure out who's the one to blame (laughs) is such a waste of time. What we need to do is just ask the question, you know, or just make the statement, we, you know, who are we going to blame? We're going to blame our system, the system that we're all working in. What was going on in the system that allowed this mistake to happen? How can we prevent it from ever happening in the future? And what else is the next thing that we want to accomplish? And how can we move on to let go of this and move on to that? Okay, and, so it's, I think that's the okay, So that helps me. So it is okay to say, listen, we made, we, the system, a mistake was made. A mistake that, was okay. made. Absolutely. I mean, that's the reality. We we're facing a problem here. Right. Um, But a better response to that problem is to say, it's a problem. How do we keep it from happening the next time? Blaming somebody is not how we keep it happening. That's the mythology. We think that if we blame someone, that will keep it happening the next time. And it doesn't. It it hasn't ever worked and it doesn't work in the future. So right. so we don't want to spend time on that. We don't have time, you know, when when the world is moving as fast, we don't have time to spend on that. And uh what we need to do is shift our focus to I, you know, we in the in the book we tell the Etsy story, which is one of my favorite stories about the young person who was left in charge of a system over the weekend, made a an error in judgment, took the system down. This is the short, short, short version of the story. Was scared to death that they were going to lose this brand new, wonderful job that they'd gotten at Etsy. And the boss, who I don't even remember his job title right at the top of my head, came to him and said, you exposed a gap in our system that we needed to know about. Right? We are giving you the three-armed sweater award. Because you, you know, through through this 
you know, unknowing mistake, you didn't do it on purpose, right? You did expose a security problem for us. And now we can fix that security problem Mm -hmm. and we can move forward. And so it's that kind of, I mean, I just, I love that story. It may be, it may be mythology at this point. I don't know. But, but I love that story because it really does exemplify the kind of thing that we're talking about. And also, you know, the other part of this is people these days are going to a lot of expense to recruit, find, recruit, mm-hmm. hire the best possible people. You don't want to bring those people in and start treating them like losers. You want to bring those people in and help them and help you as a business get the most and the best out of what they have to what they're bringing with them. And, uh, you know, being in a, in a judgy, blaming, fearful environment is not how that happens. We do not get the best if that's the kind of uh, work climate we're creating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's really what lead without blame. Yeah, is about. no, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really uh, absorbing everything you're saying right now. And I'm thinking to myself, the next, because mistakes, mistakes happen. And, and, and in fact, like learn from failure and tight feedback loops and embrace change. These are things we, we expect. We, we, we know that, you know, things yeah. are going to at a minimum be different than we plan for and yeah. mistakes are going to happen on the daily. Right. And so when, when I'm listening to you talk about how to set up this, this um, way of thinking, um, when a mistake is made, mistakes will be made. Um, you know, how is the system set up? And, and when you communicate with all the parties accountable, um, having that conversation, I'm also thinking, you didn't say this, but I'm thinking in the leader's head, um, like I know for me, it would be helpful to come up with a habit of going through that exercise myself before communicating with anybody else, right? Like, yeah. oh, what what system did we have in place that led to X, Y, and Z? Because at the foremost, that might change how I show up to the conversation as a leader. Um, in addition, I might actually bring in different people into the conversation. True. Yeah. Right. And so I think all of these things you're saying, like if I I am going to take this away and 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 make this part of my process starting today. <laughs> so thank you for that. Because I think I think I do jump to, oh, I know everything that happened. Therefore, I'm going to go talk to this person and and we're gonna like me and this person are gonna work through this together. But if I pause and say, okay, what system is in place to enable what happens? I guarantee you almost certainly it's going to change the outcomes and the discussions and the way the other person feels when I talked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is great. This is, um, every, okay. This is, this is um, a book that I, I cannot wait to read and I am embarrassed that I have not read it so far. <laughs> it's only been out a few months. It's, I know. I know. You I get know. a grace period, Debbie. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so with that, I think it's um, sadly time to wrap up, but yeah. um, thank you. You are so busy and we really appreciate your time. The The nuggets shared today, I am I'm confident will be very valuable to everyone that listens. And so um, wonderful as always to chat with you and uh, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Debbie. I'm so happy to be here with you. All right. Take care, Dan. Hey, everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, 
Remember to subscribe, give it five stars, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.